0: Sorry, me again. Galatians chapter 1, page 1168. Oh, hello. Yeah, don't ignore me. Starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, And are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ.
1: Good morning. Uh, Please do keep the word of God open in front of you. And uh, as we begin, let me pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Holy Spirit, make it make it living and active to us this morning so that we would truly know what it means for our souls to find satisfaction in the Lord Jesus and Him alone. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you notice, but this is a pretty blunt and direct kind of letter. There is no long warm greeting, there is no list of encouragements. Verse six. I am astonished by what you're doing. Take your eyes uh, down to verse 1 of chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, one of the translations renders that. You idiots. What does it take to move someone to speak or write like this? Of course, it might just be frustration. Someone cuts you up as you're driving to work, and these words will probably come to your lips fairly easily. Idiot! Fool! What are you doing? It might just be frustration at an inconvenience caused to you. But of course, these words are also used sometimes in love. Imagine that a good friend of yours is about to cheat on their spouse. You fool. What, what are you doing? I, I'm, I'm astonished that you're even considering this. Or imagine that a friend of yours tells you that they're about to invest all the money that normally pays the mortgage for their family into some pyramid scheme. You, you fool, don't do this. I'm astonished you would even think about it. And in this letter, the strength of the language is driven by love. It's being written by Paul as he introduces himself in verse 1. He's an apostle sent not from men nor by a man but by Jesus Christ. He is Jesus Christ's sent one. That's what apostle means. He comes with all the authority of Jesus and just a couple of years before he wrote this letter he had come with all the authority of Jesus into Galatia which is uh, in southern Turkey, modern day Turkey, you can see it there and he'd travelled through southern Galatia and the Holy Spirit had used him as he preached about Jesus to set a group of churches up. We won't look at it now but back down in chapter 4 it's quite clear as Paul talks about the relationship that he'd enjoyed with, um, with, with the Galatian churches that they had been really tight, they'd been very close, they had looked after each other, they had loved one another. And Paul writes now, a couple of years after his journey through Galatia, with that same love. Paul is not actually very interested in whether they like him. If he'd wanted them just to like him, he'd have held back in this letter. Have a look at verse 10. He puts it this way. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. In other words, I'm not writing to you, he says, because I want you to like me. That's that's not my primary motive. My primary motive is that I love you. And I see you about to make the biggest mistake you could possibly make. It's because Paul wants what's best for them that he's so direct. Because speaking with love does not always equal affirmation of the person you're speaking to and so as one commentator puts it these first 10 verses are going to telegraph the major themes that Paul will deal with in the letter it is a turbulent overture presaging the stormy weather to come to put it slightly less eloquently buckle up this letter's going to be bumpy why is that What is the problem that Paul has identified? Well, it's there in verses 6 and 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's the problem. Verse 7, some people have come in and taught the Galatian Christians that actually they need a slightly different version, what Paul calls a perverted version of the gospel. Perverted here, the word literally just means reverse or reversed. That's what is going on here. The Galatians have been believing a particular message, And now they're tempted to start believing in a reversed version of that message. Because, as Paul is wanting to show us, this other gospel, this other message that's come in, is in fact not a gospel at all. That's what he says at the beginning of verse 7. It's not that it's a different version of the good news. It's not good news at all. Because you cannot change the gospel without losing The gospel. Back in uh, the first lockdown, um, do you remember? um, We hardly used um, our debit cards except to sort of tap them and spend money that way. And that meant that I didn't use my PIN for months. And we were going on holiday that summer, and I went to the cash point to get a load of money out. uh, And I got there and I put my card in, and and I could not remember my PIN code. I could remember what some of the numbers were but not what all of them were. I got to the point standing there where I had tried several times using three of the correct numbers, as it turned out later, but not the fourth. How much money did I get out of the cash machine that day? None. It it didn't matter. Three out of four. It didn't say, well done, three out of four. You wanted 200 quid, you can have 150 because you got three out of four. No, it's all or nothing. You either know your PIN code or you don't know your PIN code. A bit wrong is no better than all wrong. And that is the same with the gospel. A different gospel will always be no gospel. It will always be a reversed gospel. Now, why does that matter? Well, it's because of what the gospel is that it matters so much. And Paul has very subtly just woven in what the gospel is already in verses 3 and 4. The gospel, he says, is all about a person. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The divine, that's what Lord denotes, human, Jesus was his human name, long-promised king, the Christ. The gospel is all about the Lord Jesus Christ and about what he did. What did he do, verse 4? He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. He gave himself by Being willing to be born as a man and give up the glories of heaven. Gave himself by living among his creation. Gave himself supremely by dying in our place for our sins. Why did he do that? Verse 4. To rescue us. Christianity fundamentally is a rescue religion. Christianity is not the message That we clamber up a rope away from danger, but that Jesus has descended the rope to grab us. And in fact, we were so in need of rescue that we didn't even reach up to grab hold of Jesus as he descended to us. We were not treading water, we were dead in the water. And the Lord Jesus has come to rescue us, to give us life. He did it all, all to him I owe. What is it he rescues his people from? Well, Paul tells us it's the present evil age. It's this age that we naturally belong to, that we were born into, that rejects God, that runs this world that God made in a way other than God would have and that turns our backs on the life that he offers. That's the present evil age, and you can see it all around. It's a broken age. It's a disappointing age. It's an age that is passing away. It's an age that offers no future. It's an age that we are victims of. You don't have to live too long in this world to be hurt by it. It's a, an age that we're also contributors to. As we contribute to the brokenness through our own self-centeredness. And that is what Jesus came into this world to rescue you from. Rescue you from that age and into the age to come. An age where things are fixed. Where life is satisfying. Where everything is perfect. And that lasts eternally. Now in Jewish thought before the Lord Jesus came. They thought understandably that those ages would come one after another. That there was an evil age. And they were waiting for the Messiah the Christ to come. And he would come. And then the evil age would pass away. And the age to come would begin. But actually... Jesus, when he came, came to bring the age to come into this evil age, to call people out of the evil age. They, they overlap, if you like. And that is why Jesus' is people who have been rescued out of the evil age, but we, we're still afflicted by it, But we're already starting, we have already started our eternal lives. Your eternal life is not something yet to come only, it's something that has started now. That's why Paul can say elsewhere in 2 Corinthians that God's people, Jesus' followers, are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Because we're sorrowful because we're in the evil age. We're rejoicing because we're part of the age to come, they overlap. We experience the age to come now in part and one day we will enjoy it. In full. That's the gospel. Jesus gave himself because I had nothing to give. He gave himself for my sins, which leave me dead in the water, facing judgment. He gave himself to rescue me because I can't do it myself. He gave himself because, verse 4 of the Father's plan, I never even asked, you never even asked him to do this. No one did. But the father planned it and it happened. And therefore, end of verse, uh, into verse 5. Who gets the glory? He does. He gets the glory. He gets the thanks. He gets the praise. I don't pat myself on the back. Because it's all about Jesus. 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 I did nothing. You did nothing. He did it all. And so the question, do you know the gospel? is really the question, are you overwhelmed by Jesus' saving love for you? Because that is the gospel. And that's why if you change the gospel at all, if you make it in any way about something that you do, then you have reversed it, you have lost it. Because the gospel is about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And any change and it becomes a little bit about me and what I have done and I've lost it. And that matters to me and to you because, verse 3, look at what it is that the gospel, believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, results in grace and peace. Grace is the, we use it, well, it's in our church's name, we use it a lot. The problem with using a word a lot is you can lose the wow factor of it. Grace means the overwhelming, overflowing kindness of God. It means that God is being always kind, all the time, in every way, holding nothing back from his people. That's what grace is. And grace flows to you if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ in every way, on every day. Grace and peace. The gospel brings us peace. Peace with God. Peace with each other. Peace within ourselves. Commentator Timothy George puts it this way. It's lovely. Peace denotes the state of wholeness and freedom and peace is what grace produces and paul says to these galatians you're about to turn away from all that to give up all that because you're about to listen to a different gospel you're about to lose the real gospel how much does that matter well verse 8 If anybody is preaching this, let them be under God's curse. Because they're taking people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how much it matters. And that's why as we work through this letter over the next few months, we need to sit up and take notice because Paul is writing to Christians here. Paul is writing to a church like us. It is possible to sit in the pews and lose the gospel. And so the question, the burning urgent question for us ought to be, well, how might we turn to a non-gospel? Oops, I'm going the wrong way. Can you move me back a couple of slides, Emily? Thank you. And I just want to pick out two sentences or phrases from later in the letter, and we won't get into the details of it, but just a couple of ways that we can turn to a non-gospel. So here's the first one, by relying on our own efforts to save us. In chapter 2, Paul's going to say this. We've put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, in other words, in good standing before God, in relationship with him, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, things that we do. This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion, including the religion we might call churchianity. Every other religion, every other worldview says you need to do what is necessary to get blessing. Now, if it's a secular worldview, you need to do what is necessary to get blessing in this life. Here's how you get it. Here's what you need. Here's how you get it. If it's a religious worldview, here's what you need to do to get blessing in the next life but the point is always it's up to you and you have to earn it and you have to maintain it. Christianity is utterly different to that because it's not about keeping rules, it's not about achieving much in order to get blessing, it's about a relationship with the one who kept the rules for you and who died the punishment that you deserve so that you can enjoy the blessing that he deserves. And so Christianity is about putting our faith in Christ and in him alone. It's a bit like sitting down. You're all doing it right now. Currently I'm trusting in my feet, my legs to hold me up, trusting in myself. As soon as I do this, I was trusting in in the chair and not in myself. You all did it when you came to church. I imagine you didn't really think about it, but you You transferred your trust, your faith, from yourself to the chair. I'm very pleased to report looking out. It looks like you you all made a wise decision. The chairs are holding you up. That's what faith in Jesus is about. It's about taking it away from ourselves completely and putting our trust in him alone. We start the Christian life by relying on Christ alone. If you're not a Christian here this morning, and you may have been coming to church for years, but you're not a Christian here this morning if you're relying on your own efforts to get the good life, either in this life or in eternity. And you won't get it. Because this is an evil age where things are broken and things do go wrong and things are unfair. And the future age is for Jesus to give you. Let me ask you this morning, will you put down your doing and trust in Jesus alone to give you what you need and what you can never win for yourself? That's the first way we can lose the gospel, by relying on our own efforts to save us. Second way. By relying on our own efforts to sustain us in the Christian life. This is chapter 3. Paul's really got going now. So, uh, you foolish Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? By the way, the answer is the latter. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now when we get to chapter 3, we'll look more at the specifics of what the issues were that the Galatians were facing. What it was that they were being tempted to rely on in the flesh, as it were. But for now, verse 3 reveals the underlying issue underneath their specific issues. Because Paul is pointing out to the Galatians that they have been saved and they had received Jesus' spirit by believing the gospel. It is relying on Jesus alone that brings the presence of Jesus, his Holy Spirit, to us. But now, Paul says, you are trying to continue by your own efforts. By things that you are doing. The Galatian approach had become that entry into the Christian life was about what Jesus had done. But now going on in the Christian life was about what they had to do. Their efforts, their activities. Now maybe Jesus helped them with that, but they were the main player in it. It was about what they ought to do. About their effort to do it. Now that is an exhausting way to live. And it's not the gospel way to live. The problem is, you can't do it. You keep failing. You know God's commands, you don't keep them. And it's crushing if you think that that is what keeps you a Christian. And people like that eventually leave the church and give up. You can't do it. But here's the bigger problem. Sometimes we succeed based on our own efforts. We do manage it-ish and we start to grow a bit proud and we rely on ourselves. And we keep up our appearances in church enough that we can look like we're living the Christian life in our own strength. And it becomes about us and our efforts and what we ought to do and we lose the gospel but we stay in church and we look good. The Gospel says that it is always about Jesus. That Jesus is, if you like, not just the ABC of the Christian life, he's the A to Z of the Christian life. Verse 6 of chapter 1, we are called to live in the grace, the kindness of Christ. How do we do that? Well, Paul's going to come on to that in chapter 5. Chapter 525, he says, Since we live by the Spirit... In other words, since the Spirit brought you to life by giving you faith in Christ Jesus, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep leaning on the Spirit to show you Jesus so that you live Jesus' way. Consciously rely on the Spirit of Jesus rather than your own efforts or abilities to sustain you in the Christian life. So I guess we might put it like this, we want to leave church each week not thinking I've seen how I should obey Jesus, I ought to obey Jesus, now I'm determined to go and do it. What we need to leave church thinking is I have seen how wonderful Jesus is this morning. I've been wowed by his love, I want to live a life loving him by obeying him. I'm going to ask his spirit to work in me, to transform me from the inside out. Rather than, I know what I need to do on the outside and I'll go and get on with it. I wonder, this morning, there'll be some of us here who know how we're being called to live for Jesus, but we're holding back because we don't think we can do it. Well, rely on Jesus' spirit. Ask him to give you what you don't have yourself and step forward into it. I guess there'll be some of us here this morning who lie awake at night with worries and anxieties going round and round our heads, either working out how we can control those things to get what we think we need or anxious because we know we can't control those things. I wonder what would change if you relied on Jesus' spirit and asked Jesus' spirit to be in control of that situation, to work for your good, to give you peace. You could go to sleep. I wonder if there are some of us here, I'm sure there are, who are trying to resist a particular sin and you keep giving into it. Or you've given up even trying to resist because you keep giving into it. I wonder, have you asked Jesus' spirit to change you? Or are you just relying on your own efforts to resist that sin? Why not ask Jesus' spirit? Why not ask him right now as I speak to strengthen you in that area, to change you in that area, to change you from the inside out? So it's not your own efforts that are seeking to sustain you, but Jesus himself. We start the Christian life through relying on Christ alone. And we continue the Christian life through relying on Christ alone. Jesus is not only the way in, he's the way on. The American pastor J.D. Greer puts it this way, Jesus is not just the diving board, he's the swimming pool. You don't start on Jesus and then jump off into your own efforts. And we're going to be sharing the Lord's Supper in a bit. And this is what we see. This is what we declare to our hearts and to each other in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a meal that you didn't prepare, that you are given. And it's a meal that pictures that that is how we come into the Christian life. That Jesus did it all. We just receive it because we don't just take the Lord's Supper once on conversion. We take it again and again and again because we need to go on being fed by Jesus. We need to go on receiving his forgiveness. We need feeding spiritually in our hearts by his spirit every week, every day, not just at the start. Galatians is going to show us again and again That we start by looking at Jesus and we continue by looking at Jesus. And that is how grace is enjoyed and that is how peace is found. Because if you're relying on Jesus, then success doesn't puff you up and make you proud. And failure doesn't crush you. And setbacks don't break you you don't need to prove yourself you don't need to look good in front of others you don't need others approval you don't need anything actually except Jesus so here's what our prayer might be as a church and as individuals as we look at Galatians Lord show me the gospel again show me yourself again Remind me that it's you that saved me and it's you that sustains me. Show me your love so that I will love you and work within me so that I will serve you. Because that is the gospel that we cling to. Jesus. Jesus always. Jesus alone. Jesus from first to last. It's not about me and that means I can fail and get up. Because it's about Jesus. He saved us. By his spirit, he sustains us. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would show us in our heads and our hearts the gospel again. That you would show us your love for us again. That you would remind us that it is you and you alone who saves and you and you alone who sustains as we keep in step with your spirit. Lord, show us your love. Cause us to love you in return and work within us so that we would serve you. We thank you, Jesus, for being you and for loving us. Amen. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Let's stand and sing.